Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting edition of Training Unleashed. Today, we're going to talk about what I think is one of the most important topics, and this is how to create really safe workplaces from a gender perspective, and, and really, from, from my perspective, this is about how to create great workplaces. It's not, it's not just about how do you support people of different genders. It's about how to create great workplaces. We have absolutely great guests. We have... Um, Andy and Al Kramer. Uh, Andy is a partner in one of the country's largest law firms, and the two of them have a consulting business that deals directly uh, with gender bias, and they have a book, which is It's Not You, It's the Workplace. So I'm going to just start off, and I'm going to just ask you this question. How does it hurt a company to have gender bias? Well. You go first. <laughs> well, one of the things that it does is it limits the availability of the talent that is out there. If you've got gender bias, what you're doing is you're eliminating virtually 50% of your talent pool. You're holding back a potential for really terrific people. So gender bias is effectively, we can think about it as discrimination against half of your potential leadership. So it hurts you that way, but it also hurts a company because when you don't have gender diversity, when you do have gender bias, you are cutting down on your productivity, your creativity, your spontaneity, your diverse point of view, and more than that, you are diminishing your company's potential to make money because we know that diverse workplaces earn more money than non-diverse workplaces. Andy, you want to add to that? Well, I think that um, uh, because it's morally right isn't good enough. And I think Al set out the economic reasons why companies do need to care about it. Uh, but with gender bias, what happens is it discourages the um, it, and it stifles the the people who are discriminated against. And so what happens is when Al said that you lose half the pool, um, women get discouraged, get disillusioned, uh, get less ambitious, and don't contribute the way that they would if they felt that they were part of the whole process. So I, um, I think a lot of the issue from my perspective, and I'd like to hear what your perspective, isn't that companies don't hire men and women. It's how they're treated within the organization how they're respected, how they're promoted. And do you, do you see that? Uh, no question about it. If we look at the hiring statistics, whether or not it's in 
corporate America or the legal community or medical professions, women and men are entering these fields in approximately equal numbers. Uh, that's true uh, virtually across the board, except in places like tech uh, uh, and engineering, where there is a significant disparity. But even in those areas where they are being hired in equal numbers, what we see is as they move up the leadership ranks, women increasingly drop off. There are fewer women managers. There are fewer women senior executives. There are fewer women in the C-suite. And we think that that is directly due to the presence of gender bias. So I know on your website, you actually have a tool to evaluate whether you have gender bias in your company, but, uh, and you're going to later talk about that, which is great. But how do you, you know, what are the telltale signs? So let me, let me back up here. I think people talk about sexual harassment and they focus on that, they train on that. But I think the bias that happens in the workplace is pretty much overlooked and ignored. That's my, that, there you go, that's my bias. How do you, what do you do to, how would you recommend somebody if they're looking at their company to recognize if they actually have bias? Okay, that, that's a really good point, Evan, because what happens is people, the people in senior leadership don't believe that the that there's a problem. And if you don't see it, you're not going to be able to fix it. And so what happens is we've got situations where um, uh, the men think it's just fine. So there's no, it's not broke. So why should I fix it? And um, what happens is that women, for example, will join an organization and they get excluded from some of the social events. They don't get invited to lunch. They don't get brought on to the important projects. And that's really because there's two biases that are operating at the same time. One is the gender bias, and the other is something that's called affinity bias, which is that people like to hang around with people who look like them, who have the same background, who have the same views. And so what happens is, because in senior leadership, so many of the leaders are male, then that just self-perpetuates. We refer to that as a gendered workplace, where male norms and values and um, uh, culture pervade you know, prevail and influence, you know, sort of the, the whole process. You know, it's interesting as you sit here and you say this, I've seen cultures in companies where there's big drinking cultures. Right. Um, which is not necessarily a male or female. Women can drink, men can drink. But if you weren't a drinker, you were isolated, um, which, you know, which is another form of bias. But let's, so let's now shift let's just say you recognize, okay, you know what, there is a biased issue. Or you know what, it doesn't even matter if there is or isn't. What kind of training should companies do on, uh, on gender bias? Well, one of the points is that there should definitely be training about the issue, because if men in general don't understand that it's a problem, then there isn't going to be any efforts to fix it. Um, the other part of it is that senior leadership needs to demonstrate that they understand and support a diverse workplace because really culture comes from the top down. And so 
uh, training becomes very important as to what the issues are. I'll give you an example. Um, in the context of gender bias, one of the most insidious biases is what's referred to as benevolent bias. And benevolent bias is, oh, well, she has a small child at home, so um, we're not going to put her on these projects. It's not a conscious, intentional decision, but she doesn't get invited for those bet the company projects or uh, doesn't get invited on the projects that are going to require travel. And so her career doesn't get the same robust um, uh, experiences that she's going to need in order to promote, to get promoted. And so senior people need to understand that that's an issue. And then one other piece of it is that there's a lot of men of goodwill who would like to do the right thing, but they don't know how. I think the important point that Andy is making is that men by and large at the top of organizations, whatever sort, don't believe that their organization has a problem. They are convinced that their organization is a meritocracy. And so long as men think that way, we're not going to see any progress. They need to learn and be shown how much tougher it is for women to make it to the top than it is for men. And until that can get through, we're not going to make the progress we need to. I think you're very, I think that's very insightful. So a lot of people on this call are working in a workplace that probably has gender bias. And, you know, how do I advocate if I, if I, no matter if I'm male or, or female, I see gender bias, what do I do? Do I talk to HR? Do I, how, what do I do? What do you, what do you recommend? Well, one of the things is that it's all, it's going to turn on context so that if it's the most senior person who does something totally biased, uh, you're not going to, in front of other people, chastise him with um, what he did wrong because he's going to dig his heels in, he's going to be offended, and he's going to um, be worried about saving face. So what you do in those situations is you need to take him aside per privately and have a conversation with him about the bias. Uh, if it's not the boss, the senior boss, or sometimes if it is, again, depending on the context, um, a man or a woman could basically call it out um, and in a way that isn't um, uh, challenging and in your face. So very often humor can become very effective in situations like this. So for example, let's assume I say the most brilliant thing in the world in a meeting, and because I'm a woman, none of you guys pay any attention to me. Five minutes later, Al says exactly the same thing I do, and the whole room applauds, basically. What a great idea. Al, you, that was terrific. What a great idea. Now, if you're the leader of that meeting, you should be cognizant of the fact that I said it first and should say, Al, that was a nice um, uh, elaboration of what Andy said a few minutes ago. Andy, would you like to elaborate? Um, very often the leader's not conscious enough to see that. So very often it's left to me to say, Al, that was a, you know, that really be, um, uh, did a good job of explaining what I said previously. So let me flesh that out, something. Or I could have a friend in the room who says, oh, 
Al, Andy said that five minutes ago. Andy, what, what do you think about it? And so there's ways to get women involved and brought into the discussion, uh, whether it's from the most senior person or from, um, from a colleague, an ally, or sometimes just you have to do it yourself. But I think it's important to keep in mind that these kinds of personal direct interventions that Andy's talking about, as important as they are, are not going to solve the problem all by themselves. We need far more pervasive um, policies and procedures that are going to interrupt the operation of bias from having a discriminatory impact on women's careers. By that I mean... Yeah, please, share some examples. uh, Well, by that I mean... In most situations, let's just take evaluations of performance. In those situations, there isn't an example of conscious, purposeful bias. There is, in fact, um, an operation of unconscious, implicit bias. That is, where we allow subjective judgments to influence our evaluations our stereotypes kick in, our implicit biases kick in, and we make judgments based on those biases that are discriminatory. And we've got to find ways to interrupt that process. And so, Evan, from the standpoint of corporate um, and organizational training, one of the key things is that instead of just giving senior people an evaluation form to evaluate people, um, the forms themselves should be modified to make it harder for subjective decisions to be um, able to come to play. Oh, well, she's not a self-starter, but instead to require a um, a core competency test evaluation. How does he or she perform on this? But the people who are giving those evaluations should be trained as well as to what an appropriate evaluation should include. You know what I think would would be helpful for all our listeners is take and give us an example. You don't need to use the name of one of your clients, the issues you saw, how you helped them, and the outcome. Well, I'll give you an example. One of them is that in the context of um, self-evaluations, women very often don't toot their own horn the way that men do. So. Um, uh, I worked up uh, self-evaluation do's and don'ts. And in fact, at my law firm, we use um, uh, yearly training on how to do your self-evaluation so that men and women are welcome to attend and get a sense of what is expected of them in completing their evaluations. Uh, from From the other side, from the reviewer side, in working with a number of our clients, what we'll do is we'll talk to them about how you can avoid, overcome, and prevent bias from holding um, your employees back. And so there, as Al said, there's training on um, uh, sometimes uh, more than one person needs to evaluate the, 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 the person who's being consi- you know, considered. That's uh, that's the example that I was going to give. Uh, we were working with one company, 
And it was very concerned that <clears throat> they were finding in the evaluations a systematic uh, lower evaluation of women than men. And they didn't believe that that was the case, that there was something wrong. And so what we did was work with them to establish a procedure whereby the evaluations had to be given by two people and that the way those two people would give the evaluation would be that they would discuss their views with each other before reaching a final decision. That is, that one person had to explain to the other their evaluation, what it was based on, what their criteria were, what the objective performance standards were, and then the other person would do the same, and they would go back and forth. And what we found was when people had to explain the reasons for their evaluation to someone else, they were far more careful, they were far more concerned about appearing to be biased or prejudiced, they were far more careful, and what this company found was that almost immediately, more women were being given positive evaluations than before. What they found was that it was becoming far more common for men and women to receive comparable evaluations. We're so glad you're listening to this episode of Training Unleashed, brought to you by Tortal Training. The difference between Tortal Training and other online training companies is we're primarily a training company with technology rather than a technology company that does training. Want to find out more? Just go to Tortal.net. That's T-O-R-T-A-L, Tortal.net. You know, it's interesting that you say that because it also sounds like whether it's men or women, just a good practice for giving good evaluations. Right, across the board. Yeah. No, no question, because when we have to explain to another person, we don't want to appear biased or knee-jerk or just say, this is what's in my gut. We want to appear to be fair and careful and thoughtful. So you're absolutely right. It's a practice that ought to be applied more universally. We ought not to allow people to just go with their gut. Can we talk about transgendered people and what you see in terms of bias in the workplace around transgendered people and your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, when we, it really takes gender bias and it, and it multiplies it, uh, magnifies it. And so um, the issues can be the same, but they can also be um, much harder to deal with. Um, Al and I were talking to a, a trans woman um, uh, just um, uh, probably a month ago, and uh, she's a lawyer, and she would go into court and would be uh, ridiculed. And the judge was not preventing this from happening. And there are, there are bar rules that prohibit discrimination. And um, here she is trying to do what she can to help her client, and she has this additional hurdle 
that she has to overcome. And so uh, it's a tough call, but the reality is that a lot of the issues can and should be dealt with with corporate policies to uh, make it clear that um, Somebody who is employed and has uh, has something to bring to the table should be respected. And and some of the studies show that um, uh, organizations that allow for incivility have more harassment, and organizations that allow for um, gender bias have more harassment. And so it's a spectrum of behaviors, but it becomes a slippery slope that needs to be um, considered. I think that. One of the real problems with with the trans issue is that people really don't understand. People sort of get homosexuality. They sort of get attraction to people of the same sex. But I think that most people, even people who are otherwise good people, quote, don't understand why someone with uh, male genitalia would want to be thought of as a female. And so of all the areas where bias is involved, education around issues of trans are the most important. We need to make it clear and apparent to people that the feelings about how you regard yourself, how you think about yourself in terms of gender, are just as fluid, just as malleable, just as various as your sexual orientation, as your interest in careers, as your interest in all kinds of things. And that educational process is just not being made. I, I totally agree with you. I'm a father of a trans, my son, my son is trans, and uh, I, I feel like I spend a lot of time educating people. That I would think so. Don't, don't, literally don't understand what body dysphoria is. And, you know, I think once you do understand, you totally get that, it is, it's, it's not just a matter of like someone decided what the heck, that it is who they actually are. And when you understand that it's who they actually are, that makes all the difference in the world because they, they, they get to be who they, who they are in this world. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, very obviously personal to me, but I, I think that, you know, that, that, biased uh it's just a it, it it helps no one it really does and i'll go back to what you guys said at the beginning that you know it's it doesn't allow companies to be the best they can be and it excludes opportunities not just for the person that you're biased against but the opportunities for the companies to be more successful i think uh, that's absolutely right so um, we're running out of time. I know you guys have an offer, some things that people can get for free. And I know our audience loves free stuff. So tell us about the free stuff. And then we'll do your one tip. Okay. Um, 
so if you go to our website, and I know Evan will probably have a link to it, but it's andyandale.com, and it's www.andieandal.com. We have um, an assessment tool, a survey. The assessment is how would you handle 10 potentially biased uh, workplace situations. We have um, uh, little uh, excerpts from both our books, Breaking Through Bias and It's Not You, It's the Workplace. And um, we also have, which if it's not posted yet, will be posted is a uh, a book club guide for talking about these issues. And um, as one of the key points of of this whole podcast and, and your mission is all about, communication and training becomes critical in making change. There are also a whole series of uh, links to our blog posts, uh, articles in um, uh, the Harvard Business Review, uh, and other places. So there are lots of free material uh, and uh, ways to get in touch with us and uh, keep this conversation going. And I, I will say this because, and I, I don't read everyone's bios because I like listeners to have the opportunity to experience people and, and sometimes people check out. You have an amazingly impressive bio, both of you do. And, and you guys are clearly true experts in this area. So one tip, if you had one tip to share with people, what would that one tip be? I'll give you each a tip. Okay. That way okay. I'm having no bias. You each okay. get a tip. Okay, we don't, then we don't have to arm wrestle who's going to get the tip. Yeah. Um, I guess what I would say is that we need to have conversations with ourselves about what it is we want to accomplish and that that becomes very important in then figuring out how we're going to communicate with other people. So the very first, I guess the main tip I would do is start with a conversation with yourself about what you want to accomplish and then in interacting with other people, you're going to have a better vision of what it is you want. And I guess my tip would be a tip for men. Um, I think that for the men that are out there, find a woman that you can take under your wing. Find a woman that you can mentor, that you can sponsor, and learn about her problems. Learn about what she's up against. That is, open yourself up to listen to her. And I think if men will just identify one woman that they can help, they will recognize that there are lots of women that need help, and they can start there. But it starts with mentoring, sponsoring, working with, coaching one woman. Excellent tips, guys. Thank you both very much for being on our show. Really appreciate it. Thank you to the audience for listening and everyone. Have a great day. Thanks for Thank having you. us. This has been Training Unleashed, but it doesn't stop here. Just go to trainingunleashed.net to subscribe to the show. That way you'll never miss an episode and you'll be well on your way to delivering training programs that are off the chain. We'll talk to you next time on Training Unleashed.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.